It's 2,174 miles from Eufaula to Hollywood. We're about to talk to a homeboy who's made the trip to the big time. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. You know, they say everything is local. Well, we've got a National Football League general manager, and to me, it's a local story. We're joined by Les Snead, general manager of the L.A. Rams, but like me, Les is just a good old boy from Eufaula, and Les, we really appreciate you coming in and talking to us today. Oh, Jack to be here. Jack to be back in the South. You know, it's raining in Southern California today. Kind of chilly. It's raining? It's raining. It never rains in Southern California. It never rains in Southern California. Oh, it, yeah, it's, it's uh, I think, uh, I think 538 uh, used the analogy that uh, when Donald Trump won the election in 16, he had about the same chance of winning that election as it is as raining in Los Angeles, which seems like it was about maybe 12 days a year or something. It was, <laughs> it was an interesting, interesting number that 538 used that day. You're in that, that it, prediction. You're you're a numbers guy. I mean, you make trades. You're a National Football League general manager. What what are there? Thirty two of y'all. Thirty two jobs that you hold. But you're the only one from you follow, and maybe the only one from Alabama. When somebody in California or wherever asks you to describe you follow your hometown, what do you tell them? Best thing I mean, it's we're in Hollywood, so I could say uh, maybe I could go Mayberry, but maybe not black and white color. Color version. Maybe they, maybe they added a couple of, of streets and paved the roads, but I think that would be the that would be how I'd relate it. I would always say it's probably bigger than Mayberry, but very similar in that right uh, in Mayberry. Uh, a lot of people knew each other. They didn't get along, uh, you know, they didn't get along every moment, but at the end of the day, it seems like, uh, you know, everybody was trying to take care of each other. So how uh, did that small town environment nurture you to a career that very few could have predicted for anybody coming out of you fall Well, I think the probably it, it probably be geography, right? The small town happened to be located in South Alabama and, for some reason in the South, right, football is is a priority where maybe, you know, in a small town in the Northeast, football might not be a priority. There may be another priority. So that we'd have to get into the history of how football became such a priority uh, in the South. But, you know, I think that's that's part of it. So when you so you set out to say, okay, I want to be a football player, maybe not a beach volleyball player, even though that seems like that might have been more fun. <laughs> so, and, and then I do think at the end of the day, there's the it, growing up in a small town, that environment uh, where you had teachers, coaches, uh, right? They cared, they poured their life. It was their life's calling, it was their life's mission, even though they probably, I mean, they had their their life going on, their families, but right. They, they poured their heart and soul into, into developing young men and women. Who were some of those? I mean, that you go to that, that that high school at the time. And I know there, there was some, probably some industry reasons, but I mean, I, you, we could write a book or a movie on where kids went to 
school from Ufall, Alabama. Like my story, maybe in the end gets good, but early in the down, I mean, I didn't even make the, you know, I wasn't even on the varsity. I mean, we had what people going to Harvard, Yale, all the academies. I so, was going to say the academies were going out of your place. You had, out of you follow high. I mean, y'all were producing. You follow high was producing quality people at that time. I mean, really. I mean, they are today too. I don't take that wrong. But who were some of the people at you follow high who influenced you? I mean, I would suspect Coach Woodham, uh, Mr. Quinney, the principal. Those types of people would have been on the list. And you, and you definitely have to. I mean, Wayne Woodham still texts me today. Still texts me. Win or lose, the only person who will text me when we lose three games in a row. I think that third loss, even even Wayne was ready to jump off the bandwagon. He didn't really, you know, know <laughs> what to say. Uh, you know, it's interesting, Dennis Anderson. Uh, you know, I was chatting with a with a group today, and I was uh, uh, talking about Dennis Anderson. And and and, and reason I bring up him, he was defensive line coach there, strength coach, but because he was our strength coach, he. He lived with us in the summer, gave us somewhere to go. Uh, I could, it's interesting. I could mention Kay Whaley, who was an English teacher. And again, I was not a really good English student uh, at all. I'm stunned. But, but she kept, I mean, I, I had to be the, one of the more stubborn people she's ever probably taught, but she kept working with me with the whole, uh, let's call it mission to prepare me for. Uh, you know, to be successful when I got to the next level of the video game in the classroom, not necessarily just on the field. Uh, uh, Kim Bush, who just retired, uh, you know, because I was friends with pastor Brian. of first Baptist church. It's in the wild when one of your better friends, his dad's a pastor. So those are uh, interesting uh, moments at the dinner table per se, but I can't say because of his love to, uh, you know, love for people and develop them, you know, that, very meaningful. So I could, I could go, I'm going to, I'm going to miss names and now be an enemy, but you follow, but those are some of the ones that I think about uh, a lot. I mean, I, the one that comes to mind, it's the late Pete Walker. He, he taught ag great story though. I, Pete I got, Walker I was, was like, cool. you know what? I knew I'd made the, what I needed to make on the ACT. I won't go public with it because it, it would be embarrassing but I knew I was getting in, and at that point, Troy, I knew enough to know that I didn't have to take another class, and I was good. I'd met my minimum requirements, and so I go in, and, you know, unfortunately, I, you know, single mom, so I say, you know what, it's over. No one can talk me out of it, so I'm going from, let's call it uh, upper-level math class to ag, and the first thing, Pete, and I remember to this day, Pete Walker, uh, looked at me, said, Sneed, next year when you're in college, you're going to wish you'd have stayed in that, let's call it algebra two, three, I don't know, calculus class. You're going to wish you'd have stayed in that calculus class. But because you wanted, you know, to be lazy, why don't you go pick up that welding machine over there and let's start welding. So I can tell you this, probably couldn't get away with it today, but now when he sends me over to a welding machine and I've never welded before. Maybe the most scariest moment in my entire life is holy cow. How do I crank this blowtorch up? And if it goes wrong, you know, <laughs> but, you know but the lesson was the lesson. And I, I remember it to this day, you know, we, 
there are a lot of lessons that both of us and you follow. I've, I'm laughing as you tell the story. I'm going to Troy. I made what I need to make on the ACT. I ought to match ACT or ACT scores with you right now because I did the same thing. I made the decision. I was going to Troy. I bombed the ACT the first time I made. I took it. Realized it was good enough to get in Troy, and I never went back and retook it. So I understand. I understand that whole philosophy very, very well. But you would, you would, you would probably disagree with this. But I remember when a guy named Marty Williams would come back from Southern Miss, and you would see him doing his running on the football field, and we would be training there. You know, you would train a little bit harder because, like, okay, we want to be like. We want to be like Marty. We want to be snapping the ball to Brett Favre, you know that that type thing. So it, it there's many, and you can you can explain to the viewers who Marty. Is. For full disclosure, Marty's my baby brother. No, he was never. He was always bigger than I was physically, but he played for Southern Miss and was Brett Favre's center his senior year. That Brett was a freshman at Southern Miss, so pretty good. And they they remain friends to this day, I believe. And um, he used to go to a lot of Packer games. Um, want to get into, I've got a friend of yours in here right now. Uh, I've got Archie grew up, uh, you and Archie grew up not far from each other. And I want to talk about the first real formative football experience for you. And I need Archie to help me with this. Tell me what the backyard football league it was, and then we'll bring Archie in quickly. Oh, backyard football league. Well, I don't even, Archie's really good with words. He's a lawyer. It, it, you had to live that. I, I would butcher this when I try to tell people about the backyard league. They 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 can't comprehend it. I, you had to live it. But I mean, if I said anything, I mean, I don't know how it got done. But we built locker rooms. We had full pads, and and they were high school helmets from schools from the Wiregrass. Don't know how we got them. Sure, it was legal. Sure, it was above water. All of that. <laughs> And somehow the most amazing thing is, is that you know how in the, in the good old days when you would, yeah, whatever, let's call it Columbus paper or Dothan, whatever they were would give their honor roll, whatever good high school moments for the weekend. Like I'm in maybe seventh grade and I made the, let's call it Columbus, whatever honor roll. And again, when I'm actually really playing football, it, as a junior senior, I actually made the same honor roll. So again, don't know how Frank Mixon uh, got that done. Don't know how we got those pads, but we literally had an ecosystem. It was engineered, should be a movie. Uh, and we went full pads back there. Not all the time were, were full pads, but uh, there were some, we probably covered all sports. It wasn't just football, but and this man, was it, it was a well-designed league. This was neighborhood kids. Archie, tell yeah. me what the neighborhood, where the, where, I mean, people that drive through you follow know these neighborhoods well because they're in the heart of the city. Well, well, Chuck, if you're coming from Columbus, headed down to the beach or wherever on Highway 431, you're going right through the heart of downtown Eufaula, and that's where we grew up. And Les lived right down there. I was down there. The Mixon family, who was at the center of all this, was right there. And uh, we basically had the run of the downtown on our bikes and from, you know, all hours of the, the day with very limited parent, parental supervision. It was not quite like Charlie Brown, but pretty close. And we did our own thing, and our thing was playing sports all year round. How good, Archie, this for you, how good 
when, did you realize in the seventh grade that Les was headed to be a general manager of a National Football League team? Not in the seventh grade, but, you know, Les had a pretty remarkable transformation maybe starting right about that time from seventh grade to about ninth grade where I think he had some middle school coaches that really had a good influence on him. And uh, Dr. Ken Bush that he mentioned I think is one of them where Les really worked hard while we were still kind of loafing around and really, you, you know, he changed his body and his, his, his work habits were tremendous. And it was pretty apparent by the time he was, you know, in ninth grade, I'd say, that he was going to be successful at football. And then I think he, you know, those habits carried over at some point into what, you know, his study and academic and, and then on through into college and into work, just, just a, a really strong work ethic that I think has, has led to his success today. You really did marry the weight room as a as a upper middle schooler or early high school last, didn't you? You spent a lot of time in the weight room. Oh, yeah, that, I, I lived there. So that was uh, – and, and still to this day, it's, 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 it's some form of, let's call it exercise exertion, is something I do daily. Rarely take a day off. So I, I naturally really loved it, the endorphins you get from it. But, uh, you know, the community that that was involved in, in those moments in those summer. And that's where I, I mentioned Dennis Anderson somewhere when, when Wayne came. I probably was in ninth grade. So, uh, you know, really, really instituted a probably before its time uh, strength conditioning program that was relatively simple but uh, demanding and consistent. And from there, you know, obviously when you're a young teenager and you can see, right, you can, I, you, there's measurement weekly the way he did it, right? You're, you either knew you were getting stronger or staying the same uh, the way he did it. Because it, whatever you did a week later, you had to do five pounds more. Were you motivated uh, to get stronger? Oh, definitely. There was, that, that, became, that, that was natural. Uh, and probably somewhere along the way, genetically, uh, you know, I would say gifted enough that I was able to get strong because some people can really, really work hard and not get as strong, but I was able to, to, I was able to measure and, and feel and see the gains. Do you work, do you work out? I guess you worked out in the, you follow high weight room as a kid. Uh, do you work out in the Rams weight room now? Do you, will you go down and work out in the team weight room some now? You know, I, I do. And uh, probably didn't know then. It'd be interesting if Archie would have felt this, but I've come to realize at age 50 that uh, I'm introverted. So there is this element of uh, dealing with a lot of people daily that now I like to disappear and, and work out maybe somewhere uh you know, I have a place in my garage, so that, that way I can do it away from people where if I go to our weight room, you know, there's still an element. You got to put on the GM costume and still be the, the, the GM. And I'm a lot weaker now, so <laughs> embarrassing. In there. Hey, hey, Chuck, I've, I've got a story on that. When uh, I went up to stay with Les one time, when this is when he was with the Falcons, and spend the night with him. And, uh, you know, great to visit with Les, but it was one of the – more subpar spend the night experiences because Les went to bed at 8 p.m. because he was determined he was going to get up at 4 a.m. and go to the Falcons facility and work out and then be at his desk 
you know, by 5, 5.30 in the morning. And that was his routine, I think, for, for all the time he was with the Falcons as he was going to bed early, getting up early, getting his workout in, where, I, you know, you're not going to get me out of bed at 4 in the morning to do a workout. It's and, hard. Yeah, and that's what successful people do. It's not by accident. Did your mom play a role less in instilling that work ethic in you? I know your mom is a, is a very, very hardworking, tough woman. Did she instill some of that work ethic in you? Yeah, the, she's probably working at the Shorter Mansion as we we're recording this. Yeah. So when, she's working now, and whenever you hit play to play it, she'll be working there. She'll be doing something for that uh, mansion. So, and, and she did that her entire life. Uh, again, at as Archie said, we were fortunate to be in a town where you could be raised by the community and, and your parents could go work and or play whatever they did. But uh, I know my mom was was always working. So two things, there's probably some element of genetics that were passed to me. And then there's definitely the socialization of seeing that every day. Uh, you know, hey, if you, if you show up every day and put in a good day's work, it's going to work out. I know you're across the country away from your mom, but she's been battling cancer for a while. Um, you get and she's into, still working. At the and still working. I mean, your mom is tough as nails. Um, Pam's need. Um, do you, being a son who's that far away from her, do you feel like? Do, how do you try to to sort of help her in this in this cancer fight she's in? You know when you're as far away as you are. I know you. she visits you some and you visit her, but COVID screwed a lot of stuff up too. Definitely. You know, it's, it's interesting because I'm, I'm relatively stoic in these situations and, and it's one where we've talked about, uh, even though there's been hard days, I have felt uh, and, and probably have a theory, right. That even when you're going through something like that, and, and the positive thing is, is perversion of cancer is something you can uh, live with and, and, and somewhat defeat, but there is, there's definitely some, uh, moments of fatigue, but there is that element, right. Where you, okay. That that's at the end of the day, that's reality. That's the, that's the, the card you pulled out of the deck that day, uh, and probably didn't want to pull it out. But so there's this moment of, you know what, you still have one life to live, go live it. And, and she's still, even though it's work, I do think there is an element of uh, that community at the shorter mansion where she's at and, and her friends, you know, have helped, have helped her get through it. So uh, she, so I try to, uh, you know, at least when I'm commuting home, uh, give her a call, you know, that she'll tell you, I don't call enough, but I definitely try to give her that call and, and, and just chat. And, and really it's, she can answer the phone and she tells me what's going on in Eufaula and, I have found that the negative of a small town, like it's awesome when you're young, because like <laughs> everyone know and they're raising you. But as 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 you get older, I mean, it's like okay, it's inevitable, right? Someone's <laughs> gonna die every week. Uh, I'm like, how can I said that's the that is tough to go through. How do y'all do that down there? I'm going through you that know? with my parents. You can die in L.A. and it's you know, you you yeah. you're just a small star in the universe if that. But in, in a small town, it's like once a week, somebody that, you know, so I get the you follow scoop when I get Bird call. Yeah, that, and it is scoop. I want to shift gears a little bit and go to football. 
you were with the Falcons, then you got hired by the Rams as a GM. You got to be getting close to one of the longest tenure GMs in the NFL right now, right? I think I, I, the answer is yes. I couldn't give you where I rank, but I know uh, going in, this is the 10th season. So, GMs. Uh, probably in the top five. GMs there's 32 10. GMs. I probably, I would say this maybe, maybe eight, depending on uh, technically Jerry Jones is a GM. <laughs> uh, I like so, so there's when you add people like Jerry Jones and Bill Belichick in there, then then you may be it may be about eight of us or eight that may be ahead of me. But I'm in the top ten for sure. How do you survive in what is got to be a cutthroat business? How do you survive a decade in that job? Exercise is important. Uh, you certainly. Uh, you certainly don't. Uh, I call it. You don't read a lot about sports. Uh, you don't. You don't watch it. But at, at the end of the day, you. You. I think at the end of the day, really, you gotta have a reason of why you're in it uh, on the day to day, and not just the result of a win or a loss to stay in it. Uh, so, you, and those are going to evolve over time. But you better. You better have that aligned. Uh, because the results are going to – the emotions of the result are going to weigh a lot, and the emotions of a negative result really, really weigh a lot. So you you, you definitely have to be intentional uh, with that aspect of, of emotions, thinking how you think about things and, and, and why you're in it to begin with. If, as an example, uh, we didn't keep score – and there wasn't a winner or a loser on a weekly basis. Dude. And the other thing is, you know what? You got to be competitive and courageous. And, and when I say courageous, don't be scared to to try things, to be innovative, because in a 32-team in a league where there's 32 bright organizations, uh, I was listening to a podcast this morning, and, and Daryl Morey, who was the Houston Rockets GM, and now he's with the – you're right. He's with the 76ers, but he, he, he was, you know, he's an MIT grad. So he brought a lot of the analytics in it, but he was like, like when you're trying to be one of 30 uh, and, and he used the word uh, he used the probably the NASCAR thing. Hey, if you're not first, you're last, right. You, the whole you, Ricky, Bobby everyone way. should be making, yeah, there you go. Everyone should be making big bets because it is hard to get an edge uh, in this and, and when you when you get to a level of where you're, I mean, when you're fortunate enough to have, you know get to a point where you actually can contend, you know it, it can be, uh, you got to take advantage of it. It can be more fulfilling because at that point you don't necessarily have to make huge huge, but you can you can move the needle in increments and increments and get an advantage. But it's hard getting to uh, the point where you're consistently winning. Do you? Watch the ESPN talking heads. Do you read the LA Times sports columnists? Do you listen to the people that can sometimes be critical of people like you? You know, I, I don't, but here's what I, what I say is I, I would I'll probably spend more time reading other things. So I, I really appreciate reading uh, all of my teachers and you follow would not understand how that occurred. So with that being said, I like, if I'm going to spend time reading, I like to read, uh, you know, books, uh, and, and really trying to, uh, 
let's call it garner some type of wisdom that maybe we can uh, transfer, synthesize over the football and how to, you know, help us get a cutting edge. Now, with that being said, with ESPN, with, with our LA columnists, we have relationships. I'm well aware uh, at times of what's being said, what's not, uh, which that's pretty easy to write uh, under, I mean, grass, right? If we had a, we got a three-game losing streak. I'm well aware that it's probably tilted negative. If you if you're winning, it, it's positive. So that's so, so. Everyone has a job to do. What I don't do, and I think it's very helpful, is get into uh, you. Let's call it the the Twitter world where everyone has a a voice, and and all everyone should have a voice or could, but it's just wow, you're just getting pounded with it, right? So I, I really feel bad for our young players, young people in the business that because that's. I always say that's not real life. That's if we call it the metasphere. That's you can walk out in the one of our better players can walk and go eat after a loss in a restaurant and actually have a good dinner. Someone may come up asking for an autograph, right? But that same player may go on this Twitter account and if he dropped a ball that day, he may be full of just you're the worst, yeah. you know. It's and a lot of that depends on who owns who in a fantasy football league. Oh yeah, so it's it's crazy. It, it's just it's it's crazy. And we'll put you on the spot real quick. I'll get back to football, but you you. Well, I'll help the SEC coaches and fans out. You, you be realistic down there. I mean, they can't we're, be. We're, the, I mean, the expectation. I mean, when I say that is the SEC. When I when I see, it, it's like European soccer, right? You could. You could be a really good team last year and lose four really good players. And for some reason, the expectations is that team should be exactly the same as it was the year before. And, you, and so my SEC fans like, all right, just take a step back and act like you're a little league coach and your, your four best hitters moved on from T-ball to – Whatever the next level, and now you're starting over with guys that can't. Eat. You see what I'm saying? I get, I get yeah. it. So I'm trying to help the SEC. So who you think? Now, Archie down there will get. He's at Alabama, so it's you know. You evaluate talent. You evaluate coaches. Um, in, as part of your job, do you think we'll ever see another coach like Nick Saban? That's the math says no way, right? To do what he's done. Uh, so you, I would always bet the under on that one. You know, there, there's going to be, there's going to be, and it's interesting too. Wow, and, you, and you're seeing a little bit with changes too. That as the, as a younger generation, I think it's going. Here's what's going to probably change things right there. Will there be movement? And I know Nick moved around as well, Michigan State, LSU, to Alabama. But it, you're seeing uh, the younger coaches. Make a move, and I think sometimes it's a healthy move because there is an element of shelf life. And wow, the ex, you know, the I can't keep doing it here, right? So, there, uh, when you do make a move, there's a breath of fresh air. Maybe you're starting something, or there's a building instead of having to win at all. And I, I do think the money involved now makes it a little bit easier for the younger coaches, right? To say, you know what, it, that's a pretty stressful, pressure ridden job, and I'll just go to the lake, and they can afford to go to the lake, per se. So uh, I, I would bet the under on that. Nick's done some rare, rare uh, 
things in college football. If you call uh, Nick Saban, a Kirby Smart, a Lincoln Riley, and you ask them about the evaluation of a player y'all are think are looking at in the draft or somebody they may have coached down the road, are those guys? Do they take the call and are they? What are those conversations like? Well, usually when Nick calls, it's usually so. Linda Leone's his administrative assistant, and I know Linda for many years, and usually I see Linda call, and I go, oh, geez. And she'll set up a call with Nick, and he basically ripped you for actually liking his young players that may have eligibility left, and he left them to stay. So that's usually how that, that call goes. But they're, they're all very, very – what's interesting, I think, is different than some programs Nick's been – uh, very open with the NFL, right? Like, come in, and oh, by the way, we're gonna uh, we're gonna let everyone know who you are and who you consistently are, and we're just gonna tell them the truth. So I think that's a, a, a neat thing that he does, which probably motivates his players to right to evolve. Because again, they're they're all young, right? They get there at eighteen, you leave at 20, 21, 22, So there's gonna be an element. Of, maturation but uh they're they're those guys are very very helpful are you surprised are you surprised with the success alabama quarterbacks are having in the league uh you know what it, it's it's interesting I, w- I would say no because they they are and what's i think what nick has done and, and he's evolved a little bit but there is still an element of, of pro style uh to his offenses, there's there's an element that that you definitely have to be on top of things from a mental standpoint. So that that's one of the harder transitions, uh, in is is getting here in, in the in the verbiage involved and in what 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 is required of the QB, uh, that that the QB actually has to actually has to actually figure out actually has to process. So I, I can easily, you know, I can look back and go, it's not necessarily right as surprise. Like he, Mac Jones was a guy that distributed the football, even though he had, he had weapons that were first rounders and then backups who are going to be first rounders. But he distributed the football based on what the coverage was dictating. And he was anticipatory. So you could, you could feel okay, that, he's going to have a chance to be successful in our league because that's what QB is required to do. Let's talk about the Rams. Uh, y'all right now uh, beat the Jaguars last week. You can tell when this was taped. Uh, yet to end a three-game losing streak. Three-game losing streaks have to be tough in the NFL. You have to feel like they're never going to end. Well, the three-game losing streak with a bye week in there, so you go over 30 days, go over a month without a win. So that, that's where you have to have an ironclad emotional control can't ruminate on the results, you know, and, and we like to say, and it's, it's easy to comprehend, right? Whether we'd have won two out of three, lost three, won three, at the end of the day, we had set ourselves up where the final seven games were going to, right, determine the rest of the story. So point being, the ruminating on negative results definitely can't uh, compound into those next seven games. So that's that. That's everyone. I mean, the Patriots started two and four. Now they're the one seed in the AFC. So they would have ruminated on two and four, and not the rest of the season. Uh, 
you know, they might not be where they are today. So that's where, that's where the, the ironclad emotional control has to come into play. And it, it definitely takes uh, cognitive training uh, to be able to, to go through that. Cause it's, it's, it's a long season. Ironclad emotional control in a, in the NFL, does that start in the GM's office? I mean, if you are vacillating, if you're on a roller coaster, does that transfer down to the coaches, the coaching staff, and eventually into the locker room? I definitely think, you know, whether it's GM, whether it's head coach, even ownership, depending on I mean, each each organization's ecosystem is different. Quarterback, there's certain players, right? When you're going through one loss, two losses, whatever, there is that element where you know today when you walk in the building, right, people are going to be looking at you, right, in, in your body language, and in our case, our body language of, of you know, a few certain people that you're going to – it's going to be contagious of, of how everyone, right, responds to that loss and, and goes about uh, their daily excellence. You know, you talked a little bit about this at the start, about being a Southern guy and talked about the South. Uh, your head coach obviously has deep Southern roots as well, um, Sean McVay. Uh, do y'all work – does the fact that y'all kind of are from the same part of the country allow y'all to work together well? Is that – or is that just – it is what it is? That, that's a really good question. I've never thought about it. I mean – it definitely, uh, we definitely can relate to each other, right? Being, you know, he, he grew up in Atlanta and I spent a lot of times in Atlanta. So, uh, definitely, and definitely know his world. His, his dad's a was. hall of fame broadcaster from Atlanta. I mean, De- definitely. So, uh, and didn't know this, but he was a big part of the Falcons when, when I was with the Falcons, but didn't know that at the time. So I, I do think, uh, that, that helps us relate. But at the end of the day, we're very, we share similar core beliefs and, and, and probably, and this could be somewhat, although you, we could say maybe there is some arrogant people in, in this, in the South, but from, from a standpoint of growing up in the South there, we're probably naturally humble, appreciative of how the heck did we even get to these chairs and, realizing it took a lot of people to get us to these chairs. And so now it, it transcends to, to how we live, right? We, 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 we utilize the, the people that are around us and, and try to inspire them to, to do right, to dominate their role as we call, because they all have skill sets that we don't. And, and all of that, uh, right. It all that bundles up and compounds to, to success. What kind of decision goes in to essentially hiring a quarterback, a team leader, who has his talents never been or nobody's ever argued Matt Stafford didn't have talent, um, but he had not been successful in Detroit. What do you do in your office and in your mindset? How do you get to a point where you're willing to put your team and your future in you know, everything with Matt Stafford. How do you get to that point as a GM? Well, in that case, right, you, it's, it's what a lot of people go through, especially with quarterbacks, right? The person in the situation and, 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 and they both, they both carry 
some version of weight, right? Situation in Matt's Detroit versus ours, right? Uh, in in Matt's case, Matt. Uh, in and so number one, QB is very very important in, in football, as we talked about. If I was betting money, uh, and I won't, you know, you, you, it was one of the reasons I felt like Alabama would have a chance against Georgia, right? Georgia's got an unbelievable D, but because Alabama's QB is 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 more than likely going to win the Heisman and he earned that. I mean that, that drive against Auburn, ninety-seven yards Just in however many any minutes. I mean, it not everyone can do that. He did it that day on that stage with a lot to lose and not a lot of room for error. So I think because quarterbacks very important, we spend a lot of resources trying to figure out right. How do we get the best person right for our our moment in time? And 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 that's where we've been someone that's been contending. So being able to get a Matt Stafford who, while the experience he has, I would say this: it's it was it was uh, almost allowing Sean to partner right with a peer and not necessarily be a teacher. They're not and, far uh, apart in age, are they? Not very far apart at all. <laughs> uh, as you look at the this kind of in run, you know what I got to say this though, Chuck. Right? I mean, Archie's there, and we're talking about backyard football. You know, it was like Paul Mixon in the backyard. I mean, he was like, he was. I mean, he's he was Aaron Rodgers at the backyard league. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you could get him on your team. Yeah, Paul Mixon was definitely the uh, the Tom Brady. And then you switch over to basketball. He's the you know Michael Jordan or whatever of, of the backyard league for sure. You know that's interesting that you spun it back to the backyard football league and you follow. I mean, because to me that's fascinating. Here you are at the top of the game. You know, one of the top jobs in the country for a sports executive. But you don't forget that you came out of a backyard football league off of you. Off of uh, four thirty one South. I mean, that's that's nuts to me. Oh, and we what the the uh, the fields right there. They weren't. They're not like SoFi Stadium or, or Bryant Denny or Jordan Hare, right? It was. It we was Jane Sims's backyard, right? But no, you got it. The, the bad story is we were actually destroying her beautiful backyard that probably in her world, right, was preparing for the pilgrimage all year, but we were destroying it uh, on a weekend basis. But, yes, that that is definitely a legendary field. Uh, and you got to give – think about – I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, in today's time, especially in California, if we went to – if my kids went to a neighbor's yard and played a full-fledged football game, I mean, I don't, I don't know if they get out of that thing – I hate to say a lot, but you know, that's but to I mean the sacrifice she made for us that's that should that's I unbelievable. I don't, I don't know that anyone ever asked permission, Les, whether from her or then the Grady family who had the other yard. We don't even we don't even know the Grady's. We just started playing football in their yard, and there's nothing they could do about it. Really, who was yeah. the best player? You said you had Paul Mixon was Aaron Rodgers. Who else was in? That? I mean. I guess uh, Randall Wilder was in that league. Who are some of the others? I can name off some kids. Who uh, Randall? I'm, when you brought up Randall Wilder's name, I'm thinking he had to be like uh, 
I'm trying to think of the guy who's the was the glue guy for the Warriors. Not Steph Curry, but well, you wanted Randall Wilder on your basketball team. You were going to get offensive rebounds. I mean, you know what I mean? It, yeah, yeah. Randall was he was kind of the Draymond Green of maybe of the the, the backyard basketball aspect. But it's funny, Chuck and and Les. We, we had kids from six to sixteen out there doing sports, dressing out in locker rooms that we made ourselves out of like all kind of scrap wood that we we found and um it, it was really a unique experience oh yeah cody sparks out you know and then when uh there was a guy named tim dollar i think he went to the naval academy but i do remember he didn't he wasn't like the part of the regular game but when he showed up you didn't want to tackle him yeah <laughs> you, you didn't want to mess Don't with get him. his way but you know you even before y'all, Ufala has always been like that. I, I don't know if y'all know Herbert Green, but Herbert Green was a basketball player at Auburn, was a head basketball coach at Columbus State. And he grew up on Sanford Street right there near the old high school. And seven straight years, that street produced an all-state of Alabama basketball player. Wow. Ufala, I mean, you know, Billy Rayleigh, Booth, all these guys came off of that street. Ufala's always sort of had the workman, workman's attitude. It's a, From an athletic standpoint, Ufala's a blue-collar town athletically, but it's always had good athletes, right? Yes. And, I mean, it seems like Wright still, still does in a, in a sense. Yeah, I, I mean – I mean, Jarrell Jernigan, Courtney Upshaw. You got guys now that have played in the league or playing in the league that came out of Ufala. There's a kid now that's signing with somebody I saw today. I can't remember who it is, but they're there. Um, I want, we got to get close to wrapping this up, but I want to go back to Ufala for one thing. Archie and I were talking about this before the podcast. We were trying to come up with the most famous person out of Ufala. Rick Lingo and I actually had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. And Rick's of my generation, not yours, but I think you know who he is. Um, and Rick and I were having a conversation. And Rick said, I think Les is probably the most famous person to come out of Ufala. And, and you know, and Archie said maybe Admiral Thomas Moore, Moore Admiral Moore Middle School, he was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. But, you know, how does it feel to be in the discussion? of one of the most famous people to come out of your hometown. Well, it's interesting when I Wikipedia at one time, it, it seems like there, you had the Marilyn McCoo and there was some element of Michael Jackson's mom that may have spent time there. Again, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I don't want to Wikipedia. It's probably relatively accurate, but can't necessarily say I can confirm that. So I'm, I'm going to put some of them up in there. You know what? You're, it's probably like Archie said earlier. Well, he may have, he gave me some nice compliments. I, I don't think when you're a little kid, two things. I don't think you ever think about you're going to ever be in that discussion. Maybe you have some dreams and you hope, but you probably don't really believe them. And really, if you didn't meet them, it's not like life's over, right? You you didn't really. That's not what yeah. you were aspiring for uh, you're to begin with. So. It, you're so a, I'm still less neat in the backyard, and when I'm sitting here with Archie, I'm still that guy. And there will be times when I don't even think that, okay, I'm general manager of an NFL team. You're a 50-year-old guy 
You've been very successful. You've been in a Super Bowl. You may have a shot at another Super Bowl this year. Um, are you still a Ufala boy, even though you're Hollywood You know now? what, Chuck? You're just like, you know, all the media. It could, <laughs> I mean, can't we have a shot next year, too, and the year after? It seems like it's all, you know, you're going with the narrative this, this year. I mean, 2022 is important, too. Hey, do you have any draft picks left? I've been watching your trades. You've been trading a lot of draft picks, man. Oh yeah, that. You know what? That's where we're at. We're in the. We're kind of in the contention phase. So you got to take as as we talked earlier. We could go on for days on that, but uh, for where we're at right now, veteran veterans could be better than younger. But you definitely you definitely have to have a a, a mix of both. And there will be there, yes, there will be a moment when Aaron Donald you know, decides to retire and you go, okay, we'll never have one of those again. That might've been the greatest defensive player to ever play. And that was a heck of a run and things like that. But I forgot your original question when I, are you still, you fall, are you your journalistic, you know, motive? <laughs> hey, uh, you know, I learned my journalism from Joel Smith, buddy. That's why I, I go back to Mr. Joel, um, the longtime editor. Now, of you know what? That's good. That we could go for days on that is, because I, I mean, I, I mean, when you write an editorial for, a, let's call it a small town newspaper, and you have to be somewhat critical, which I'm sure he was at times. That's, he was. But I mean, you talk about courage now. I mean, that's, you know, that's, you got to live amongst. <laughs> you got to go to the Rotary Club. You got to go to the Holiday Inn for breakfast. I mean, you. It takes courage to criticize your hometown, but are you, but you're still a follow boy. You'll always be a follow boy, right? Oh, there's no doubt. That's that's home. Home's where the heart is. They say oh, we're going to wrap this up. But one thing I do want to do is I I do I've done this with every guest I've done. I've done almost forty of these now. I call it turn the tables and you get, this ought to be fun for you. You get the other guy gets all the questions asked to you by the media. Ask me a question. Anything you want to ask me? Or would you rather to ask it to one of the LA times times guys? Oh, that's a, that's a good, I should have been, you should have, I wish I'd have known this. I would, I would have prepared. Uh, so, you know, what the, the, what I would ask is, is, is this right? You, you said you learned from right Joel Smith. For some reason, right, this was your life's calling. You were gonna write, be a journalist, cover story. So the interesting thing would be, hey, what what was the most impactful thing you covered that you didn't expect to be impactful? Uh, that maybe that maybe more impacted you personally. I'll, I'll you actually, went to it. You, you weren't expected. You were I'll like, actually wow. tie this to the NFL a little bit. Um, I covered the gender integration of the U.S. Army Ranger School the first, in 2015. The first women to earn Ranger tabs in the U.S. Army. Three of them earned them. Uh, uh, Shay Haver, Kristen Greist, and Lisa. Um, uh, I just went brain dead. Lisa's going to. Um, oh man, and she could. Uh, yeah, do no, not make a ranger. <laughs> uh, but Shay Haver graduated in the same high school class with RG three. She was probably a better athlete than he was. Um, uh, and they earn 
Um, they earned this ranger tab, and I got to watch it all the way through. General Scott Miller allowed me an embed with the Washington Post, uh, New York Times, and Christian Science Monitor. And I got to see three women change the most hardcore men's opinion of we don't want special favors. You tell me what the standard is, and I'll go meet the standard. And they set a standard. And it became a standards-based deal, and they achieved it. They they earned the Ranger tab, and they're getting close to a hundred women graduating now. Six years later, they really did change Army history for women. And you know, and I think at the end of the day, whether we're man or woman, all we want's a shot. Give us a shot. Tell me what the standards is are, and I'll meet. I mean, it's what you deal with every day. You got a standard. You know what the standard is. You know how many wins you need. You know what you need on your roster. You know, and there are other people that can do that, and you know that. Does that make any sense, Les? That's, I could feel the. You know what I did? I could feel the the emotion and passion of, of right. That's a, and I could even. It inspired me. Like you. <laughs> oh man, just that story. Just, Don't yeah, go trade anybody right. today for that though. <laughs> it was at Fort Benning. Yeah, it was at Fort Benning. It was also down at, at Eglin and Destin and up in the mountains of Dahlonega. So it was in three places. It is the most rigorous training in the U.S. Army. It is designed to mentally and physically break you. It is designed to take you to a point where you have to make decisions under the most harsh Emotional and mental duress, emotional, mental, and physical duress. No sleep. I mean, food deprivation, everything you can think of is part of this course. And when they come, I mean, you got one guy in the NFL that's a Ranger that I know of, and it's the big tackle. He used to be a Pittsburgh villain, villain in a way. He's, he actually is a U.S. Army Ranger. He's the biggest one I've ever seen. They're most, most of those guys are six, five, ten, six foot built like, I mean, just mental mental and physical specimens. And, you know, and it, we've got, we're fortunate in our community of Columbus to have a lot of those guys that live around us, and they're, they're true American heroes. I got one. Uh, we'll go a little bit longer. Okay. I get that you, you, yeah, you're the one that's got to go, got to go do work. I'm, I'm good. But, so when you're on a three-game losing streak, Archie, and you're like, okay, I don't want to say this because, but I, my thought was, okay, I'd rather go try to be a ranger, even though I would miserably fail, right? But because <laughs> I'm losing my ironclad emotional control. But you were in competitive sports, coaching basketball. What do you miss most? Even though you, I'm, I'm sure you could, you could articulate the headaches. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, to inspire those of us still involved in going through losing streaks per se. Well, first of all, on the ranger. I had a neighbor in Columbus that won the best Ranger competition one year. But, Les, I think you could beat – you're a little over the hill now, but back in the day I think you could have definitely pulled it off. Um, you know, I miss those, just a lot of the relationships that you have through sports and, and a team and working towards a common goal. Uh, my boys are playing high school basketball, so I can live some of that through them now, and that's fun. And I live it through you and watching what you do. It's, it's amazing. And uh, – you know, we're all big Rams fans in our house. Even our dog has a Rams jersey. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we watch this on, on the Sunday ticket. We watch the Rams games, and, and we, uh, you know, we sink or swim with you. So, it's pretty cool. 
Ufala probably is a Rams town, isn't it? I mean, there are a lot of people in Ufala pulling for you and the Rams, right, Les? You know that I I, I bet you Ufala for right for a town in the South probably has more Rams fans, but analytically, we could probably really figure out who actually did what Archie did and subscribed to the NFL ticket so he's not stuck watching your uh, partner's Falcons down there. That's uh, the only so reason. Who, who actually yeah. bought the subscription to watch the Rams? That's Then I bet you the numbers shrink a little bit. <laughs> you get you can get it on uh, Red Zone. Red Zone you'll get at least we know when you're in, when you're in, when you're about to score. Um uh, last thing, just last thing I'll ask and wrap it up. Uh, uh, you've lived an amazing life for a guy that came out of you follow. What's the thing you, as we're in this Christmas and holiday season, Les, what are you most thankful for? I, I think thankful for, I'll go back to what Archie said. It, it's, it's the relationships, right, that, that you have. And, and I'm, I'm introverted, so uh, that could lead to Archie saying maybe I could have, right, passed muster with that Ranger stuff back in the day. But I think whether it's whether it's with your, your kids, whether it's with your mom, whether it's actually getting on this Zoom call with you, Chuck, Archie, and, right, we, we don't talk every day. Uh, we text every now and then, but I can get on this call and it feels like we're just having a chat back home, right? So – you know, I think that's the, you know, that that's what's worth living for. That's that's where you get fulfilled. And so if I had one thing to be thankful for, it's, it's the relationships and, and all of them. And it's, if I got really deep, how they all compound, We you know, how everybody's life is a wonderful life. If we go to the Christmas movie, it's a wonderful life, right? If we all somehow regressed and analyzed our life and if Archie hadn't have been the point guard in the backyard league, or we didn't use football cards to draft or Marty Williams never went to play at Southern. You just never know if one of those people were right. Deleted from the, from the game would your path have done something else. So that's, that's an interesting way to look at it. Well, you, this is the time I've got to wrap up and say the Chuck Williams show can be heard Tuesday nights on WRBL.com. It's from seven to eight. You can also catch it on Spotify, Apple, and our, is that right, Dylan? Uh, Dylan Hanson, our director, he's been outstanding, always is. Uh, then on social media, you don't know anything about social media, do you, Les? Uh, Chuck, you on Twitter? I have teenagers, so I'm aware. <laughs> Twitter, at Chuck Williams. Facebook, Chuck Williams WRBL. And then Instagram, Chuck Williams 0999. My guest has been Les Need. Les is the uh, general manager of the Los Angeles Rams in the National Football League. Hollywood guy now, but his roots are very, very deep and firmly planted in Ufala, Alabama. I want to thank Les for joining us and hope you'll be back here next week for another edition of the Chuck Williams Show. Thanks, guys.